0: welcome to the chief endurance officer podcast i'm your host greg mcdonough each week we hear real-time stories from athletes and ceos on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset let's get started welcome to the chief endurance officer podcast i'm your host greg mcdonough today's guest is an author speaker entrepreneur and financial expert he has presented in over 15 countries and has been named Inc. 5000 less than 2019. He is a partner at Carr, Riggs & Ingram. Please welcome Greg Crabtree.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you, Greg. Uh, this podcast, we focus on the endurance mindset. And my favorite question to ask is, Greg, tell me about how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly.
1: I'm kind of a, a renegade in the, the accounting space. So I, I always tell people I endured learning how to be an accountant because I grew up on a chicken farm that we had 10,000 chickens and I gathered seven to 8,000 eggs a day from the time I was six years old till I went to college. So what that teaches you is, you know, one, I mean, it, it's every stinking day, 365 days a year. So it's not incredibly difficult, but it is constant. And, you know, and it, it, and, and from that, you know, it teaches you what you don't want to do for a living, you know, but, uh, so I, I chose accounting because my mom respected her tax uh, preparer that did her tax return, and they worked in an air conditioned office. So that was the only two data points I used to choose accounting. So uh, so I go to school and you know kind of muddle my way through. I'm just happy not being on the farm, you know, being at school. So I I kind of you know cruise along and get my first job in accounting. And oh my goodness, I mean I I'm questioning my sanity after that first year in public accounting because really everything I did then is no longer done by a computer or no, no longer done by a human. It's all done by a computer. You know? And so I almost went back to school to get my master's in tax, which probably would have been a, you know, I would have been a danger to the tax system, you know, but did that. Um, so, but over time I learned to say, okay, well, you know, I, I did learn the things that I needed to know how the perfection was. I questioned some of the, the things that we do as a perfection. And in many cases, we sell things that we do rather than do what people need. And, and I had to really, you know, um, change my mindset to say, okay, well, if this is what I'm going to do, how am I going to use these tools to really understand that they're tools? I didn't, you know, and accounting is like it being in the construction school, going to learn how to use a hammer. Well, that, that's all accounting is. In, in reality, it's the hammer, you know, of, 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 of the construction profession. And, and, and so how do I use this tool to actually really, you know, make a difference? And so then as I, as I got more focused on, okay, what am I focused on is helping elevating the entrepreneur is kind of my phrase of what that that's what I'm about. How do I elevate the entrepreneur? And a lot of it was, I had to redo a lot of things that you know, take time. I mean, and it really is an endurance mindset of saying these are things that don't happen overnight. Um, You know, and so my career kind of ebbed and flowed, you know, certainly intersection with joining uh, the Entrepreneurs Organization in 2001 was a major inflection point, you know, in my lifetime. Uh, And then, you know, but as I really got honed in on that, it was, you know, understanding how to build the tools how to validate the tools, how to, you know, present them and sell them to people to, to say, okay, we, you know, convince, you know, a sample, you know, group of people to test out that service that had never been done before. Didn't know what it was worth. Didn't know what the, you know, the, the public would pay for it. And then once we got fairly quick acceptance of it, then it was the, okay, well, I don't want to create a, what I call a briefcase toting consultant, one man show. I want to create a business. And so I had to train somebody to do everything that I had proven the customer wanted and, and so in, in that mindset, it is just a series of of incremental steps and moves, but yet you got to know that there is this ultimate goal of where you're trying to get to, but in creating something totally new. Cause I mean, tons of all the accounting firms now are trying to get into consulting. I mean, so that's the, you know, they they oh, you know, let's do, let's do consulting. Let's do non, uh, non-compliance, you know, work. Well, you know, good luck, but what do you do? And, and, and so we wanted to be more product oriented, taking a service and productizing it, and, and, and saying we, this is what we believe every entrepreneur needs. And as we have more iterations of data points, you know, we, we tend to, you know, perfect it and tune it, but you know, it, it, at its core, it's still pretty close to what we designed right out of the box, which is, you know, help people see data in a more intuitive way and understand this relationship of chassis to engine. Here's the engine of your business. Is it properly sized big or small to the chassis, big or small? And you can't take a big engine and pull it with a small chassis and you can't take a small engine and, and it pull a big chassis. And, and those things are dynamic. They don't stay in tune to each other year in, year out, quarter in, quarter out. And it just took a patient process, you know, because, um, you know, you've got to kind of build the offering and refine it while you're also building a team of people to do it. And those people, you know, you make some misses, they come and go, you know, but, but it really does take that, that mindset of, you know, many times along the way, you know, there's frustrations and things and you go, Hey, you know, I'm not, I I don't, I don't think I'm going to, going to make it. Um, and a lot of it is, is very similar. The, probably the business book that has really struck me, you know, of late is this book, uh, that's written by Annie Duke. Uh, the famous poker player called Quit, and I would highly encourage her. It's probably the best business book I've read in the last three or four years. And, And she talks about, you know, the best poker players in the world. Really, it's more about knowing when to quit, knowing not to play a hand and save your capital, save your resources, you know, for a better play and a better day. And, and one of the things that she uses talking about endurance is, you know, people who, who climb, you know, Mount Everest and, you know, there, there are, there's the reason why there are critical points of saying, if you don't make it to this point, by this time of day, you turn back. I don't care what you've done. And, you know, and she tells the story of several people who are experienced climbers that died because they broke the rule. And, and they didn't have a clear set of parameters of knowing it's great to try things, you know, but you also got to know, okay, when do you back up and try again, you know, on a better day in a better way, you know, because, you know, you, you're going to die and, and entrepreneurs do this all the time. I mean, I see it, you know, where they just get so dug in and, you know, we, we sometimes, you know, too much elevate the person that did the moonshot kind of business or, and, but how many, how many trails of disasters did that person lead people into because they got away with it, but it's not the, it's not a high probability of success and they, and they made it out to be, Oh, all it took was grit. Well, you know, sometimes that grit will kill you. And, uh, and how's that going to work for you? So, so I think you know those are. There's just some incredible stories that she told, but but we see it every day in what we do in consulting with our clients. So, you know, many times talking them out of you know an action that is going past this. Don't don't go beyond you know point in in either resources and or time.
0: Greg, in a few minutes, I'd love to dive into that a little bit deeper. But you also talked about um, your process of developing these tools and this new you know, asset that you're providing your clients and, and the frustrations mm-hmm. that you ran into from time to time. Walk us through how you dealt with those frustrations in the moment when you've had some self-doubt about is this really something we could bring to the market or our clients are going to yeah. value.
1: The thing was is, you know, once I got my head around how what we wanted to do, and, and that really helped by one, immersing myself in the community. I, I don't hang out with accountants. I hang out with entrepreneurs. One of the partners of the firm I started with years ago, somebody asked him about you know, going to a, an accounting society meeting and he looked at him and he says, why would I do that? They're not my, they're not clients. <laughs> and I always remember that. But, you know, understanding in, in where I'm in an environment with the people that I would like to be have as a client, but where I'm not trying to get them as a client. I, I feel like I got so much more feedback of need and, and what could be done versus when you're always in a trying to sell mode. And and that's what EO teaches us. You know, we don't, we're, we're not allowed to solicit, which is really good because I don't like to solicit. I just like to talk about, Hey, what do you need? How can you help? And if it turns into business, it does, it does, you know, but it doesn't matter. You know, otherwise Once we knew that, then it was process of figuring out, okay, how do I make it faster, better, cheaper? Well, obviously me being the most expensive part of the resource, it can't be me that does it. And so then you just kind of deconstruct it. And, and these are things like, you know, famous books, like the goal by Eli Goldratt talking about, you know, the bottlenecks and the, in the process of things, and I, I was one of the major bottlenecks when I was early on doing projects, one of the first things. Uh, of the first things I needed to do was have somebody help prep the stuff that had to go on before you got in front of the client. So that was, and that's a fairly easy step of the process. Probably one of the bigger things that helped though, was getting somebody to reply, uh, to the inbound leads and demand. Cause every time I would go speak somewhere or, you know, interact with somebody, you know, at, at an event, you know, we, people would, would contact us referrals from, you know, clients as well and. If I'm doing the work and trying to sell the work at the same time, those two things are in conflict. And fortunately, you know, uh, early on we, uh, Mike Maxon, who's now one of our partners, you know, he, he became the person, you know, that, um, you know, I, I would say, Hey, great to hear from you. Mike Maxon will be in touch. <laughs> and so it, it got to where I was the, one of the early bottlenecks that, that helped us you know, deal with that was I didn't have to be on every inbound lead. Uh, you know that came in. Now the good thing is, is we we generate generate enough buzz that we actually had plenty of inbound demand that was just enough to build the next person. You know, so the idea is we we didn't poke the bear, as I used to say, because it's like, well, you know, can I can I go hire the next uh, next staff uh, next uh, consultant? The the last piece of the road being laid was that piece, and Brandon Gray, who was my original first protege that I trained, you know, to do consult, do what I do. And if I got run over by a bus tomorrow, Brandon would, would take it and keep it going it, 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 doesn't, doesn't actually require me. Um, but Brandon did a phenomenal job of developing a really robust training process that really compresses what we need a consultant to know. So if you possess the basic financial understanding and you have the ability to talk numbers. You know, Brandon built a really robust training program that within ninety to one hundred eighty days, you either wash out or you can do the job. One of the two, and and so uh, that that has been extremely beneficial. And we use that as examples teaching clients all the time about how they need to be focused on much more structured, validated learning because we have tests that they have to take along the way to prove. Did I know you read it? I know you listened to the watch the video uh the example and those things, but did you do you understand what you're doing? And if you don't under, you, a lot of people can mimic stuff, but do you really understand it? And and the key with what we do in, in simple numbers consulting, you you gotta understand it. You gotta understand this relationship of the, the P and L engine to the capitalization of the balance sheet and how that turns into cash flow. And if you can't connect those three dots and triangulate the data, mm, you're gonna struggle. And to be quite honest, vast majority of accountants can't do that. And if the truth be known,
0: I really appreciated your process there of you know not getting too far ahead of your skis as you built the team and built your training and and brought in new consultants. Um, Greg, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the entrepreneur um, and thinking in the concept of endurance mindset and almost stupid grit. Mm-hmm. Right, you met you talked the story about you know climbing everest when you shouldn't be and and the consequences there. Yeah. You give us some stories of clients that you see that have an endurance mindset but have known or when you've coached them to back away from doing something that they probably shouldn't be getting themselves into.
1: It, you want the example of the people that rode their pig off the cliff or the people yeah. that that didn't. Or a little uh, bit of both, I guess. The one I always look back at and say, you know, we had it figured out and the owner pushed, so we, we had, a, had a client with that, a hired CEO and that had a retail operation. And we had modeled it out to where for their product, their market, there was about 45 optimal locations and they needed to probably cull five a year and add five a year. But optimization of, you know, targeting the kind of the, a niche market but there was a pretty demonstrated demand that we felt like that was the the perfect model. The CEO's the hired CEO. He was like the fourth one. I had actually worked with this business from the beginning when they had their first location. So I was actually the probably the only person that had been around from the inception, other than the owner. Um, and and so, um, so it was it was going pretty well. At, but the owner had it, it come from the real estate industry, and he. He kept thinking, oh, bigger is better. I want to get to 75 stores so I can sell it. And me and the CEO, we both, you know, lobbied and said, listen, you know, that, that, that's just insanity. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't have the distribution infrastructure to handle 75 stores. We don't think there's 75 markets that you actually can be successful in. Uh, and it goes back to what I talk about all the time in value creation. It ain't about revenue. It is about profit. And in many cases, their smaller stores produce more dollars of profit than their big stores Mm -hmm. and which is very common in retail, you know, in, in the process. But he, he was all hell bent to do it. And the problem is in retail is especially in seasonality, you know, you get to the end of the year and you have that final Christmas sale, you have this bolus of cash, well, then he'd suck all the cash out and you had no cash to actually get through the next year. And you don't really have anything that's that financeable. Yeah. You can do some asset based financing on inventory, but inventory financing is really brutal. Um, and, and so essentially they got it up to 75 stores and promptly went bankrupt. And as I say, they rode their pig off a cliff and you don't survive from that. Probably the, the other best example is we we worked with an Amazon reseller you know that had gotten up into the 50 million plus range was losing money and we convinced them to we we looked at their skews and did a skew profitability analysis and we said listen you know if you if you trim a, a significant portion of their skews they would drop to 35 million in revenue but they'd make a million in profit mm. and and it saved the business Margin was one component of, by by SKU. Here is the best SKUs. Only focus on the best SKUs, but it was also the capital that each SKU that they sold. They didn't make anything; they were just reselling stuff. You you needed to be able to get proper turns. So any SKU that you were having to pay on shorter turns, or you didn't get much support, or it didn't turn fast enough. The, the, you take any of those factors and combine them together to affect cash flow, the, the um, you know those were just unworkable. So it, it's like you had to put too much cash into it for the margin that you got out. Because Amazon resellers are working on an extremely thin margin once you calculate all the channel cost of Amazon fees and inventory fees and all that kind of stuff. But there's a way to make money. But you just got to be really, really super focused on here's the stuff that works and quit the SKUs that don't work. I'm telling you, I mean, these are like a dog to a bone. I mean, you 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 sell something, you see revenue. And it's like it ain't, it ain't about revenue. It's about margin and cash flow. And if I get those two things right, then okay, I can build on those things. Um, you know, but we we've got case after case of, you know, getting people to stop those losing activities and and that's something where, you know, Annie Duke talks about this in terms of sunk cost. Once you feel invested in an idea, this is where, you know, you can, your rah-rah side of endurance will kill your ability to play another day another way. And, and you just got to be careful to balance those two, because yeah, there's times that, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there, there there's plenty of people. In, in my profession that never would have done what we do in consulting b- because you know they they just like the consistency you know and the predictability of, of the other part although I, I would contend that we actually are more predictable and consistent you know we we work a steady amount 12 months out of the year I mean I, I don't have a season we're, we we're busy all 12 months you know it's like you know, I don't have a tax season per se although I have to our clients who we do tax returns in addition to the consulting, you know, I, it, that sometimes spills back on to me. I, I try to stay out of it as much as I can, you know, but, uh, but, but, you know, but those are the kind of things that, you know, people gravitate to the knowns. And, and I think there is, you know, when you think of, you know, the, the people who get a bug and they want to climb Everest, I mean, that's a big unknown. I mean, it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it would be a tremendous rush or achievement, uh, you know, running, uh, running a triathlon or, or participating in a triathlon or an iron man or, or those kind of things. Although they've never even remotely got on my list, but Hey, you know, winning my club championship. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, now I'm in the senior division. So I actually, actually led after the first round a couple of years ago, I shot my, my best score ever shot two under in the first round. Uh, and, uh, promptly spit the bit the second day. But, hey, you know, I, I remember I can do it. I can do it.
0: Yeah, that that first round is certainly the, the time to do it. Greg, you, you gave these great examples about financial tools and how they benefit the entrepreneur if they mm-hmm. use them properly. As you know, there's many, many entrepreneurs out there who don't use financial tools or even look at their financials mm-hmm. as sort of a, the, the end product that they might look at at some point after their month end close. What would you say to that audience about the benefits of using your financial information?
1: If somebody that's listening to this doesn't use the financial information, I would say that it's only because you haven't been presented good financial information. So as a profession, we produce financial information for accountants and bankers and it's, um, there's a great book title that Eli, Eli Goldratt, who wrote the goal, uh, the famous book that's taught in a lot of MBA programs. He also wrote another book called necessary, but not sufficient, which is actually my favorite book of his, his book series. And it's an allegory about his personal experience of running an ERP software business that he got fired, uh, from the business he started because he was, he wanted to accomplish the right thing for the customer, but the investors who had control over him were interested in profit, not accomplishment. And, and so revenue without profit is, you know, that, that, that's activity, that's not accomplishment. And so the world of entrepreneurism is filled with activity, but not accomplishment. And, and so when it comes to financial data, we. We have an activity called a financial statement that the outside accountant produces whenever requested your internal bookkeeper, controller, CFO produces, and it's necessary, but is it sufficient? Is it telling you what you need to know? And what we've learned and studied, i I'm, you know, if I was going to go back to college right now, and I may actually still do this while my brain still works someday, I'd get a doctorate in behavioral economics to me, and this is why I love Andy Duke's book called Quit, because it is, it's a lot of behavioral economic stories, and I love that field of study, because at the end of the day, data is a worthless exercise of activity unless it changes behavior to the best possible outcome. So what data can I give you as, as a helper to the business that gets you to do what is in your best interest? That, that, that's my stated goal. And I'll try, I'll break any rule of accounting that that's needed. Um, you know, whatever way we can present the data. Now, what we found is there is, we, we think there are some basic ways that really does resonate with the vast majority of entrepreneurs. once we kind of teach them how to see it, talk them through it and let the numbers tell the story, I'll tell you kind of the, one of the most fun things ever is when we do our initial planning session with a client, we're reshowing them data that they've lived for the last three years. And to see the scales fall off their eyes and see what really happened and their jaws drop and they go, how'd you know that? It's like, well, it's been, it's been right here. It's, it's been in your data. It's been screaming at you and you weren't listening, but it's right here. It's really easy to see. And it's like, it just takes a different way of presenting the information so that you know how to play. Do I place this bet or do I stop making this bet and let's try something different.
0: You know, it made me, what you just said, made me think about those in the audience who do Ironman races, you know, I, that's one of my passions and. Every time I'm out for a run or on my bike, I've got my computer, I've got my heart rate monitor, I've got all this information, all this data collection. Mm-hmm. But to your ultimate point, like, what am I doing with it after the fact? Am I running an analysis to change my pacing? Am I doing so? I think the concept you just presented, Greg, about mm-hmm. using data and changing behavior also applies to many different aspects of life. And we're kind of in this data overload. Mm-hmm. We don't, come up with good understanding. So it's an interesting point that you made.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and, and not everything resonates to everybody the same way. It says, okay, well, let's try You know, it's the, it's the ultimate AB testing, you know, concept, you know, that's used in marketing. Well, let's, let's try something that does resonate, you know, but, but, but a lot of times I've got to go back and do some, some reeducation of fundamental principles. And uh, I had a long drawn out discussion with a client this week. That was educating her on some old ideas around being a C corporation because she was trying to, to eliminate profitability at the end of the year. Cause she didn't want to pay tax. And I said, listen, if you don't pay taxes, there's only two possible outcomes. You either didn't make any money or you cheated. And both of those are bad. So, so eliminating taxes is a bad, bad idea in, in the grand scheme of things. And, 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 and this is a case where I, I complain about my peers in the accounting industry, especially in the tax people, they will tell you, they saved you taxes when all they did was push it to a different year in the future at potentially a higher rate of tax. And, uh, and, and, and quite interesting, the, the first client that I ever did a, uh, uh, simple numbers planning session with, he was client zero. Uh, he was. He was known to buy a lot of equipment at the end of the year, heavily and finance it a hundred percent to take accelerated depreciation. And he was building this mountain of debt, saving taxes at probably 10 to 15% effective rate to someday having to make profit at the the highest possible rate to repay that debt. Because I can only repay debt with after-tax profit. It's fundamental of physics. And, and so, and it's like, I finally got through to him. I mean, cause I mean, it was, it was a slog to convince him. I said, this is a, this is a bad exchange rate here. You know, you're saving at this rate and you're paying at this rate, but it's like every accountant he'd had previous to that was saying, oh, well, you know, oh, you got a hundred thousand dollars of profit. We'll go buy a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment and we'll take section 179 depreciation and, and you can finance it. You won't, it won't cost you any cash today, it will eventually. So, yeah, but those are the kind of things that I, and, and this is, this is, I, I was telling a group in one of my recent events, I said, I was going through one of these discussions and hashing, you know, having a knockdown dragout fight with a client about their tax thinking. And I said, I, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm crazy, but I'm willing to have that discussion that my peers aren't willing to have. Yeah, uh, b- because it's like I've got to get you to right-headed thinking, you know, about this issue, and because you are creating destruction, you know, if if you don't think about it, and and trust me, that takes a little bit of an endurance mindset of being. I I mean, I know it's going to be a fight because people hate. I don't know anybody that loves paying taxes, mm-hmm. even though the ones I convince that they need to, you know, when they write that seven-figure check for taxes. You know, it's like, they still look at me with a stink eye going, are you sure about this? <laughs> yeah. I can show you where, you know, so if you're at a million dollar check for taxes, I can show you where the two, two other million you got to keep is, you know, on, on average, you know, unless you're in California or New York.
0: Greg, yeah. we've explored and talked a lot about the work that you do directly with business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, there's the other side of your resume with book publishing <laughs> and speaking keynotes. Talk to, give the audience a little sense of what else you do.
1: Well, with, I mean, certainly the, the, the speaking, it, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, I have to owe that to, 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 um, EO experience. So when I was on the global board from '06 to 09, you know, they, uh, fortuitous for me. I mean, I used to get sweaty, nervous, you know, get, get me up in front of somebody to talk. And, I, you know, you kind of just get in your head and they, they, one of the EO members who I love dearly, Christina Harbridge with, uh, she has a speaking training company called Allegory. Christina is just one of my favorite people in the world. And, um, she was working with us board members, trying to get us to be a little smoother, you know, in our presentations and when we had to talk to the members. And the one thing she told me that has always stuck with me, she says, well, you just need to learn to embrace your inner chicken farmer. She says that's who you are. Uh, don't try to be anybody else. And so. That's why you get a lot of farm references you know, when I talk, I'm not going to hide that I have a Southern accent because there's no way I can eliminate it, you know? And, and so that, that certainly, you know, is one of the things that helped. And once I got to that level of comfort, you know, and then, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm one of a handful of, of presenters myself, Alan Mills are probably the, the two most common eo finance speakers and uh I, I have super respect for alan and, and what he's done and we're, we're good good friends and co-presented a lot of times and uh and once you can talk on a technical topic like that to where people can understand it you just get a lot of natural demand and so i i actually never asked for a speaking event people have always kind of come to me uh you know with that and that part you know it is good um Writing the book is a totally different thing. That is a slog that, that is an endurance because, you know, one, I'm not a natural writer and, and so I had to get help from a company that helped me put it together. Uh, probably paid way too much for the first one, but once I did the first one, cause it took, it was about a year long process to do that first one. Um, but the second one I wrote every word myself. And I still had contact with one of my editors, you know, from the first book, uh, that, you know, she was the editor of it and, you know, and I've got resources to people to do the layout, people to do the graphics, people to do the printing, uh, uh, you know, those things. So I, the second book was so, so much more easier, but it still required a process and the process that I used was. I would, uh, I found that I wrote better going away out of my normal daily environment. So I do like a writing trip. So we, you know, my wife and I go out of town and before I could, we could go do anything. I had to, you know, write five to 10,000 words The the easy part was laying out conceptually what I wanted to cover. The hard part was sit down at the computer and write, you know, and and make yourself do it. Um, but I have had to write enough articles and edit things, you know, since the first book, I kind of developed finally a rhythm of being able to, to make the first cut. Um, and, uh, and, and my editor does a really good job of keeping my voice in what I write, you know, so that people, you know, that probably the best compliment that I feel like I've gotten is people read the book and they hear me speak, you know, and that they, it's consistent with how they, they hear me in person. So, so those are fun, but it, it still is a long process and it takes a lot of discipline. Um, and you know, when you put something out in writing, it's out there forever. And now the good news is I wrote something that I think these two books stand the test of time. I mean, I I had to go back in the audio studio to do the audio book for the first one, 10 years after I wrote it. And that was a little daunting because I, I'm going to read it. It can't be anybody else's voice, but mine to read it. And, and so I'm thinking, what am I going to find that I said that I'm not going to agree with. And other than one paragraph on a tax thing that was no longer true because of tax law changes, that's the only thing I left out. But what was really phenomenal was I got to the end of that first book because I hadn't read it 10 years myself. And, um, uh, I get to the end of the, finish the last summary and I'll kind of pause and think to myself, man, that's a pretty good book. You know, and, and what was funny was there was a lot of things in that book. Once I read it word for word. That were clues to what I solved in the second book. I I had forgotten that I had a lot of these ideas, but the first book, the way I kind of describe it, the first book is a book of observations. The second book is the book of why. And I figured out from the time I read the first book to the second book. I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of why does profit need to be at a certain level for this particular type of business. And that's all kind of the, the return on invested capital concept, you know, that I was able to put together, especially from my getting to the chair, the, the EO at Horton program and interacting with David Wessels, the lead professor there, that kind of was the last piece of the track that needed to be laid to say, okay, here's your idea, here's how you get to economic success with it, and here's why it has to happen.
0: Is there a book three in the making?
1: Uh, you know, there might be, but nothing nothing compelling on the horizon at, at, at the moment. Uh, probably more so uh, continued video content to go a little deeper on some of the concepts um you know as, with both books pretty do a pretty good job of standing on their own and so a lot of times people just want to go a little bit deeper on you know their their concepts of of you know profitability return on capital and uh and also the the, the one that a lot of people I, I want to do some deeper dive on is launch capital this idea how to grow your business through your p l and how to think about it in a non-standard accounting way You know, to understand that most of us grow our business, not on the balance sheet. We grow it on the P and L by spending an expense that nobody makes us spend. How do I hold that expense accountable and what should my result be because I've spent it here? And, and that more and more, I think more and more, we provide examples of how people have successfully used that, you know, helps people kind of think through their bet. I mean, that, and that, that, and I refer to that constantly as how to bet on your business, you know. When you hire a new employee that you don't have to hire, that's a bet. Mm-hmm. When I spend money on marketing that's unproven, that's a bet. Uh, so that, that's how we grow our business. We're, we're professional gamblers.
0: Back to the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um And to your point, right, if you don't measure it, then it no. just gets sucked into the PL and and it becomes a recurring expense. The next thing you know, you're yeah. wondering why profitability is being hammered. Uh, yeah cuz cuz to... you may get
1: you may get the revenue from it but are you getting the margin and the profitability from it and that's what's more important.
0: That's right. Um, one last question I'm curious of what your insights are on the current economic conditions. You
1: we know, we've got 100 clients that we track as kind of our our simple numbers 100 company model and that model is telling us we've been in a recession since fourth quarter of last year and continue to be in one. So uh i think inflation is still higher than what the federal government's reporting uh but i'm okay with them underreporting it if it gets the fed not raise interest rates further or possibly even cut them but based on yesterday's uh guidance i i think the fed's pausing at the moment but they're they're yeah. warning that they're going to raise it again you know at some point in the future I'm a huge fan of following, you know, Peter Zion's work, you know, with geopolitical, you know, population structures and movements. We're out of people in the U S the world is largely out of people that are effective at what they, we need them to do. Labor is the dominant driver of growth in the economy. And when I don't have excess labor, I can't produce. And if I can't produce, I can't grow. And also I don't have consumers. And and so that create demand right now, our excess demand is from my generation of baby boomers that have retired, that are still consuming at a pretty rapid rate, probably more so than their their predecessors that went into retirement, but their demand will start to soften as they get older. The way I've described it is. Uh, up until COVID that 10 year period was the, the participation trophy economy. The economy was expanding at such a rapid rate. Everybody could grow regardless of how good you were right now. We're in the street fight economy, roll up your sleeves. You got to take, if you want to grow, you can, you just got to take it away from somebody else because the economy in general is not growing. It is not going to grow. Matter of fact, your sector might be more likely to shrink than grow but that doesn't mean your business can't grow. It means you got to go be the winner. So we're in the next 10 year period is going to be the phase where we're going to have the clearest delineation between winners and losers in business than we've had probably in our lifetime.
0: Very well said, Greg, how can audience members get in touch with you?
1: Uh, They can, uh, uh, Track me down, uh, greg.crabtree at simplenumberscri.com is my email address. Uh, simplenumberscri.com is the, the website address for our practice unit. We're part of a, a national firm, Carrigs and Ingram, but our practice units called Simple Numbers. Uh, and so, uh, so we do work all over the world, but I'm probably one of the easiest people to find cause there's not that many people named Greg Crabtree. I freely let people video my presentations at times. So there's stuff on YouTube, you know, from simple numbers. Uh, but you know, the website also has a lot of our podcast content. So things like this, we post on there and post on social media. Um, I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn as well. So, uh, so all, all of those, but like I said, I'm, I'm probably the easiest person to find in the world. You know, thank goodness to that name that I hated as a kid, because you can, You can play with the name Crabtree a lot of different ways if you're a cruel child, uh, you know. But uh, works out pretty well as an adult.
0: And we'll include those links in our show notes, also to the references of your books, the books we mentioned in the show. Um, Greg, thank you for being with us today. Uh, Yeah, appreciate. Message to to my to our audience members: if you want to be a winner over that next ten years, I highly encourage you to to dig into to Greg's content. Um, help you sort of change your perspective around financials and the accounting profession in general. Um, I also ask that if you got some benefit from the show to subscribe, to like us, to share us with your friends. Uh, this content is, is highly valuable and really needs to be spread around our community. So I encourage you to do that too. Greg, again, thanks for being on the show. It's always wonderful to connect with you and I will be sure to be on the driving range this afternoon trying yeah. to scratch out another couple points off my handicap.
1: There you go. Looking forward to it. All right. right, Thanks.
0: We'll talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.